Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. So I don't know how many of you have tried to go shopping lately, uh, but grocery shopping has been kind of crazy. And my wife kind of has a little ritual. Uh, When she goes out to go grocery shopping, she comes home and she'll come through the door and she will announce to the world and she'll say, I'm back from grocery shopping, uh, which is her way of telling me to get up off the couch and go get the groceries. And I don't know how you guys go get groceries from the car, but I'm a one tripper. You know what I'm talking about? In one trip, you want to try to get it all. You don't do two trips, right? And so you go there and you grab like all the bags you can and you put it like all on your arms and stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Like you have like 50 bags each, you know, you wrap it around your fingers, you know, and if she gets like toilet paper or paper towels and you're like, oh great, what am I going to do? You know, this is going to be a two tripper. No, we can't have that. And so we, you know, you take you put it on the ground, and, and as you're carrying it, you're kind of kicking it, you know, to get inside the house, right? And, and don't you hate it when the bags twist around your fingers, and it just is so painful? You're like, oh, see what I'm doing for this family? Do you see the sacrifice that's being made right here? And you take it off, and you're like marked up, and, and I look at my wife, and say, see, see what I endure for you, honey? See? <laughs> and in many ways, uh, this next set of verses, and in fact, in many ways, all of chapter 8, which is where we are at in Romans today, Uh, is about endurance, but it's actually about so much more than just endurance. It's really about, especially the passage we're focusing on, is really about assaults and assurance. Assaults and assurance. And so go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 31, and then I'll kind of explain where we are at in our series. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. It says this, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, not also along with him, graciously give us all things? Uh, Who will bring any charge against those uh, whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is it that is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or a sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced... I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow. 
Uh, this is actually the 11th episode and the last installment of our series that we've been in through the book of Romans before we take a break. And we're going to take a break in this series and we're going to begin our Easter series next Sunday. And then we'll pick up Romans again. And sort of in way of review, the first five chapters, Paul sort of labored in building a case on this audacious claim that he made that how one is saved is in faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. And then after that, he spends three more chapters raising and answering objections to that claim. Like, well, if there's more grace where there is more sin, then shouldn't we sin more so we could see more grace? Or doesn't grace give us a license to sin? Or what about works? Don't we have to partner with God somehow in order for our salvation to come about? Or what about the law? Is it useless? Or how can we really know if we're saved? He's answering these objections, and we are now coming to the conclusion of what Paul is really speaking about, um, and about the fact that your salvation, you can know that you are saved. He's, he's letting us know how you can tell if you, in fact, are a Christian. And what he says is that the, the big sign, the, the major sign is simply this, that God comes to live in you. That God, that God doesn't come to visit, but he, has, but he has taken up residence inside of your life, inside of you. And just like anybody that comes to live inside of your home for a permanent basis, things change. And you will quickly begin to see that someone else is now living here. And it's because he intends to sort of uproot you from the tyranny of your normal life, of your familiar but not to upgrade you. In, in other words, uh, Christianity is not about making a Roger 2.0, but, but what God wants to do is to kill you and to make you a completely new type of human. Yeah. That's, that's really what, what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so the question is, well, wait a minute, what does that look like? Right? Well, what are the markers of, a, of, a, of life in the Spirit? Or in other words, what is a Spirit-filled life? And what's interesting is in the first part of the chapter, what we see is that Paul talks all about the Spirit in the first part of chapter 8. In fact, the Spirit is mentioned 17 times in just the first few verses and then over and over again throughout the chapter. But then if you notice that starting in verse 31, which is where we read today, all the way to 39, the Spirit isn't mentioned at all. Have you noticed that? He's not there. Now, why would a chapter starting off talking about the Spirit and then over and over and over again talking about the Spirit finish like this? I mean, especially at this incredible climax, right? Look at all of these rhetorical questions when he says, who will condemn you? You know, no, no one. Uh, what will separate us from God's love? Nothing, right? Why would a chapter on the work of the Spirit end without talking about the Spirit? Well, only, the only way it makes sense is if this is, in fact, also part of what the Spirit does. If, in fact, this is what the Spirit is wanting to do, this is the heart of how we experience God. 
The Holy Spirit assures us that nothing can separate us from the very love of God. And if that's true, if, if, if what I'm saying is true, then that means that this is our main problem. If it's true, then this is your main problem and this is my main problem, period. Uh, and in fact, what you need to be able to see is all of your problems, whether ethical problems or social problems or psychological problems, the, what it really boils down to is that you don't believe this. You don't believe this. You, you, you don't know it to be true. You're not persuaded. You're not convinced. And that's what this is all about. See, back in verse one of this chapter, we see that the Spirit shows us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, he assures us of his love, and that's actually how in the beginning we become Christians, right? I've heard many times, and I've seen many times people say, well, I need God in my life, I need the Spirit in my life, or I need something, I need God, I need something in my life, and so they come to church and they begin to just work really hard, right? They begin to work really hard. They begin to pray really hard. They, they, they begin to read a lot, you know, and, and they really give themselves. They're, they're, they're just going and going, right? And, and they're going to go live like Christ and they're going to obey Christ and they're going to study what Christ says. But that's actually not a Christian. That's not a Christian. You know, what the, you know why? That's nothing but anxiety, that, that's, just, that's just stress and insecurity, right? Because you're saying, well, well, listen, I need something, so I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna be really religious now, right? You're going, you're working, you're working, but you're not resting in Jesus Christ or in the work that Jesus did. So until you realize that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, then you are just religious, but you're not saved. See that? And so that's the first thing. The second thing that we see the Spirit uh, does and, and, and what Paul shows us is, is that we are more than just pardoned. We're pardoned, we're forgiven, but we're more than just forgiven. Now, now being forgiven is huge, right? I mean, to, to have a judge there and, and a prosecutor, and the prosecutor is saying that you are guilty and, and, that, and that justice has to come and that what the law demands is capital punishment for you to be sentenced to death, right? And, and, then, and, and then so then what happens? Look at verse two, uh, that, that you are then pardoned, you are then free. In other words, so the so the judge is making this decision and saying, listen, I have to be just. We have to go by the law and you are guilty. And so because of that, then the death penalty comes. And then all of a sudden the judge's son stands up and says, wait a minute, I will die in your place. And so he dies in your place and now justice has been served. You are pardoned. You are now forgiven. And what that means is you are free. Look at verse two, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit uh, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are free. You, you are free from liability. You are free from condemnation. Just like when Moses was leading God's people out of Egypt, they are no longer slaves. They're free. And once we recognize that reality, then all of a sudden things like the Ten Commandments aren't regulations, but we look at them more of reflections of God. When you come to realize that the Ten Commandments don't become rules to how to keep you bound, but they become rules on how to keep you free. But the Holy Spirit doesn't just show us that you're pardoned, 
but he actually comes in and he sanctifies you. And he says, wait a minute, there's more than just pardon. The judge doesn't just turn around and say, okay, now you're free to go. He, instead, he goes further. The judge looks at you and says, you are free and I'm adopting you. Right? Verse 15, it says that we are now adopted, and so we don't have to live like frightened slaves and orphans, but now we can call him father. We can call him our father. We are now adopted. And then going throughout, continuing in chapter 8, we see that the Spirit does something even higher. And in verses 26 and 27, it talks about how the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And there's a Greek word there, and that word means to advocate, right, to appeal. In other words, to make a case on your behalf. But who is the Holy Spirit appealing to? Who is he advocating to? Well, he's advocating to you. He's, he, the, in other words, that, that word for inter, that he intercedes, that he advocates for you, it's a legal term. In other words, he's almost like your lawyer. And what he's doing is he's speaking to you and he's showing you the evidence of who you are. He's laying out the facts and he's saying, I, I, I want you to be convinced based on these facts that, that, that you need to know. He's trying to get you to see that there really is no no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is speaking to that thing that sometimes comes into you, into your mind and into your heart that, that talks about this thing that, that no, God doesn't love you and you shouldn't serve him and, and, and you can't go to him for forgiveness. And, and the Holy Spirit is there and he's being an advocate. He's laying out the case for you and he's saying, no, no, no let's look at the facts. And the facts is, is that God sent his son and died on the cross and, and paid the penalty and rose again and you are free and you are adopted and because you are now a son and a daughter of the father that there is no condemnation and the Holy Spirit is constantly reminding your flesh of that reality. He's constantly doing that to you, to you and you need this, you need this. And then all of a sudden, what we realize as we continue going forward is we realize that Paul begins to talk about these hardships that come. And you think, how, how, how is it that he was able to deal with these things? And, and notice in the verse, he actually lists seven things, doesn't he? He says this, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He asked that question. And then he lists seven things. He said, shall trouble or hardship or persecution right? Should uh, famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? Why, why does he make that list, you think? Why does he make this? Well, go read the book of Acts. Go, go read the life of Paul. It's because he's been through every one of those. He's been through every one of those over and over again. Trouble and hardship and persecution and famine and nakedness and the sword. Well, how did he, how did he handle that? I mean, how did he not just handle it, but how did he handle it with victory? You see that? No, notice he doesn't say that, well, I, I barely got by. He, he doesn't say I barely beat it, right? I almost made it. You know, I crawled my way through. He doesn't say that. What he says is this. He, in fact, he doesn't even say I conquered it. What he says is I am more than a conqueror. Notice that? He says, he says, I'm more than a conqueror. Well, what language is that? What is he talking about? What language is he using? He's using the language of the witness of the Holy Spirit that is laying out the case to him that says you are more than a conqueror. 
You are more than a conqueror. These are the arguments the Holy Spirit is using that you're able to utilize in your life as you yourself go through trials and situations and, and, and difficulties and, and, and when you, you have this internal warfare and this battle of the mind, the Holy Spirit gives you arguments. He gives you facts. He gives you the defense and says, wait a minute, remember who you are. This is how you know you're saved. This is how you know. And let me remind you why, just for a second. Um, you know, when, when you first think about becoming a Christian and you're going through, the, you're, you're hearing about, you know, what Christianity is and, and you give your life to Jesus, at some point, you probably ask yourself, well, will it be worth it? Will it be worth it, right? Will, will I really want to stick with this? Will I really want to go through this? Is this whole thing going to be worth the price that I'm going to have to pay to be a Christian? That, that, that's, that's kind of what we think about. Do I want to give up my old life? And do I want to give up these things that I hold on to? Is it, is it worth it? And it reminds me of, you know, um, you know like a, a little girl in her room playing with a princess doll. And, and you go up to her and, and you're like, oh, you, you like your princess doll? And she's like, yeah, I love this thing. And she plays with it for hours. And, and then you say, you know what? I can take you to Disneyland to go meet a princess and you're going to love it. And then she's like, I, I don't know. What's Disneyland? And, and so you try to explain it to her and, and, and you, try to, you try to get her to you know, kind of see what Disneyland's about. But, but she's like, well, I mean, I, you know, am I going to like it? Is it going to be better than this? Am I going to have more fun? And no, no, I think, I think I'll just stay here and, and, and play with this doll. And, and it's because she cannot visualize the reality of Disneyland. She's never been there. She's not sure. And so, and so she just wants to stay in the room with the doll. And, and this, in a way, is what happens in the beginning before you become a Christian or, or right after, whichever, come, whichever part comes first. But, but the, and the big question that kind of runs in our mind is, well, is it worth it? I don't know. You know, I, I won't be able to sleep with anybody that I want to sleep with. I, you know, I don't know if I want to give that up. I'm going to have to give lots of money away. I'm just not sure. I don't know. Is it going to be worth it? And when you ask that, what, what it is, is that's a complete failure to have vision for reality, right? And, and really, there's no way to get over that except by experiencing it. Right? So for instance, if a little kid loves to make huge sand castles in a sandbox, and, and so you go to him and he loves sand, he loves it, and he loves building huge sand castles, and you say, hey, bud, guess what? I'm going to take you to a beach. And, and he's never been to a beach. And, and you say, oh, you're going to love it. He's like, well, I don't know. Am I? Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, oh, is it like a big sandbox? Well, yes, but, but even bigger than that. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go. See, and his imagination is so truncated, it is so limited that he just decides, ah, you know, I better stay. Or think about this, you know, think about a parent that has five kids and is watching a parent that is a mom or a dad for the first time. 
Have you ever seen this interaction before, right? And so if you're a first time mom or dad, like any, you're, you're so protective, right? This is your, this is your newborn first baby. And so the, if the baby yawns, you freak out and you're like, call 911, you know, get an ambulance, let's run to the ER, what are we going to do? You know, you, you're just so protective and, and, and you, you want everyone to keep their distance and you're not sure and, and you don't know what's going on. But by the time you get to kid five, you don't really care anymore. You know what I mean? Like, kid comes out with like a bone, you know, out of his arm and stuff. You're like, oh, go put a bandaid on it. He's fine. Right? <laughs> and, and if you see them interact, it's like the experienced mom, you know, is trying to tell this new mom, oh, you know, you don't have to be so worried. He's going to be fine. No, you don't need to take him to the doctor. Just wait it out. He's going to be good. And, and, and the new mom is like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him. Because until you've experienced five kids, that you, it doesn't matter. You could talk to this mom until you're blue in the face, and she's still going to be protective, and she's still going to be worried, right? And if you, are, if you are asking if Christianity is worth it, if it's too costly, then all I can say is that you are a kid playing in a sandbox that has access to a beach. And the only way to break that is to experience Christ. That's the only way. And then once you do, then an even greater question comes. Once you experience Christ and you experience who Christ is and you, and you begin to realize who you are and who he is and the sin that you have and what he did for you, and when you begin to realize that, then you even have a bigger question, a more real question that comes. In fact, a question that actually matters. And that question is this, will God stick with you? Well, see, once you experience God, then you're like, well, I don't know. Is this, is this too good to be true? Like, is he going to stick with me? Is he going to stay with me? And this is the question that really the chapter addresses. It's the only question that really matters. Because you're like, in light of my sin, in light of the sin in my heart, in light of the brokenness that I experience in the world and, and the pain that I see or the pain that I myself go through in this world, how can I be sure that God is sticking with me? That God's sticking with me. And really, there's only two things, and that's the inside problem and the outside problem. The inside problem and the outside problem. The inside problem. On the inside, what will happen is you'll begin to look at your own sin and, and, and you'll begin to ask this question, well, how in the world can God put up with me? Like, how in the world can God be able to come and, and, and forgive me again? And, and I just said sorry and here I am and I, and I did something and I didn't want to do it and I didn't mean to do it, but it happened. And so I'm finding myself broken before the Lord again. And how much longer is he going to put up with me, right? And so your assurance of his love is almost decimated by your own sin, by, by, your, by, by the things that you think or the behaviors you have or the way your heart is. And so the real question that's going to come up eventually is why? Why does God forgive me every time? How, how is it that he can even love me? In fact, when you read verses that God loved you and he died for you while you were an enemy of him, I mean, party's like, why? Like, why did he do that? Right? And so if you look at verse 33, it says this, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? 
This is an important question because what you'll see is that you are chargeable. You are chargeable. And so when Paul says, well, who can bring a charge against you? It's not, it's not so much he's saying, well, you were never chargeable. You're chargeable. But then, what, but so, so what does Paul mean when he says, well, then who can bring a charge against God's elect? And he says, no one can. And that's, and here's the, the reality of it. The reason that's true is because you have the advocate, you have God himself living inside of you. But it's also true because you have an advocate in heaven. So you don't just have an advocate here on earth, but last week, Pastor Phil touched on this and that incredible message. And if you have not heard it, I suggest you go back and listen to the podcast um, because it will wreck your life. But he touched on the fact that you don't just have one advocate, but, but actually God is saying that, that God, the, the, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit are both advocates. They're both interceding for you. They're both interceding on your behalf. And so verse 34 says, who then is the one who condemns? He says, no one, Christ Jesus, who died, but more than that, who was raised. So he didn't just die. He was raised to life, is now at the right hand of God. And he is also interceding for us. So basically, in short, what the Bible is telling us, and, and I wish I had time to kind of open up this sort of wonderful doctrine, this fiery theological logic, but, but this is how the Holy Spirit works, and, and you need to know this. You, you need to know this and study these things if you're ever going to deal with your heart, if you're ever going to wrestle with it and deal with it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is interceding. He's our advocate, and he's standing before the Father, right? He, he, he lives to intercede for us. And so what is he doing? When, when, you, when he's up there interceding for us, what does that mean? What is he doing? Well, he's pointing to his own work. That's what he's doing. He's pointing to his own work. He's making a case and he's saying, listen, Father, your law demands payment. The wages of sin is death. Well, I died. I have paid it. And therefore, since I have paid the debt for this person, since I have paid the debt for this woman, since I have paid the debt for this man, then I don't, I'm not asking for mercy. I'm demanding justice. Now, I want you to catch this because I bet you in your mind, when you saw Jesus, you know, up there advocating for you in your mind, you probably thought he's trying to demand mercy. He's not demanding mercy. He's demanding justice. You say justice. Yeah, justice, because justice demands acquittal. It demands acquittal because he says, I paid for it. See, when, when Jesus died in your name so you can live in his, what that means, you know what it means? What it means is now the law is actually on your side. That's what it means. See, it's not like God's mercy is on one side, right? And, and God's law is on the other side. And God's mercy is on this side saying, oh, forgive him. And God's law is on this side saying, oh, condemn him. No, no, no. They're both on your side right? It's not just the mercy of God, but it's the law of God that demands acquittal. Is that, are you catching that? And so, and so it says, well, listen, you know, uh, who cares what kind of charge comes against you? Jesus Christ intercedes for you. That's what's so wonderful about it. That's what's so glorious about it is that it's actually the law. The law says, listen, sin demands a death payment, 
And Christ, who was the only one that could fulfill that, did. He paid that debt. And so now that same law says, okay, then the person he paid it for has been freed, has been pardoned. There's acquittal there. There is no condemnation. The law is on your side. The law is on your side. In fact, uh, John Newton wrote this. He said, well, may the accuser roar of sins that I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. Well, may the accuser roar of sins I have done. I know them all and thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. Right? So first, what do we have when, when, when your sins on the inside rise up to choke you, when the assault from the inside rises up to suffocate you, to bring you down, to break your faith and your understanding of who God is and, and to kind of shatter your vision of, of what God has done, when the assault comes in from the inside, then, then God is saying and he's reminding you that, listen, nothing can separate you from the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are in Christ, for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the assault doesn't just come from within. There's also assaults that come from without, without the outside problem. It's not just an inside problem, but there's an outside problem. What about assaults that come from the outside? In fact, in the season that we're in, many people across the world feel like they're feeling that right now, the outside, right? Look what it says. It says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Then he says, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long and we are considered sheep to be slaughtered. One of the worst things that can happen to you, and, and I know this happens uh, all the time, but one of the worst things that can happen to you when you first become a Christian, and very often the, the, this happens all the time, is they say, well, now that I'm a Christian, then certain things can't happen to me. That's what they say, right? That, that's what a lot of people begin to think. Well, now that I've given my heart to God and I believe in Jesus Christ as my savior and, and, and I hear the gospel, well, now that means that, you know, certain things, that, you know, are kind of, I'm free from, I'm protected from. Some years ago, there was a Christian couple in Richmond, Virginia, and the wife had her three children uh, seat belted in the back seat, and she ran out to go get something in her house. And when she came back, the car had uh, began to go downhill and actually went into a river, and her children drowned to death, and they were all under the age of four. Christian woman, all under the age of four. And you read that and you think, well, wait a minute, what, something's not connecting here because I'm a Christian and I love God and God loves me. So now, now that, that means that there are certain things that just should not happen to me, right? Right? Well, and so, so you begin to say, well, God, what are you going to do about it? And, and, and you begin to ask yourself, what am I going to do about this? What, what happens when the assault isn't just from within, but from without? Right? And what's interesting 
What's interesting is when Paul begins to look at the assaults that come from the outside, Paul does not look at the intercession of Christ, but instead he looks at the death and suffering of Christ. When when things begin to attack him from the outside, he doesn't turn to the intercession of Christ and the fact that Christ is advocating and interceding for him, but instead he looks at the cross and the suffering of Jesus Christ. Verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What is he talking about? What does he mean? And notice the word there, loved. When did you think that Paul would have said for those who he, who loves us through him who loves us, but he said, who loved us past tense. And the reason why is because he's thinking about one single past action, the cross of Calvary. That's what he's thinking about. That's what he's thinking about. See, because the presence of the Holy Spirit does not prevent pain, but it's a promise that God will be with you through the process. The presence of the Holy Spirit does not prevent pain, but it is a promise that God will be with you through the process. See, we serve a God that is with us through our process. Uh, he, was, he, he was in Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's fire. He, he walked on the disciples' storm in the Sea of Galilee. This isn't a God that just sits idly by and looks at the perplexities and vicissitudes that, that, that we go through and just kind of folds his hands and say, okay, let's see what happens. No, this is a God that gets into the pain with us. This is a God that gets into the the fire and gets into the storm. This is a God that doesn't look at suffering passively, but he goes and he becomes, he takes on human form. He becomes a human and he lives as such and he dies and he suffers and he, and he gets to the cross. He gets to the cross. And this is what makes Christianity unique from all other religions because God came and suffered And so when asking the question, well, why does God allow pain? Why does God allow suffering? The cross tells us what the answer could not be. The cross tells us what the answer is not. It's not because he doesn't care. See, the bloodstained cross of the Canaan king, whose kingdom is not of this world, tells us that the answer to pain and suffering and why God allows it is not because he doesn't love us. Because when you look at the cross of Calvary and you look at the fact that how Christ himself came and suffered, how God came and suffered with us and for us and in our place, Do you know what ails you today? Do you know why so many are just filled with anxiety and stress and fear? Do you know, do you know why many of people are just filled with sleepless nights and anger? Is because you are not living as though you're loved. That's why. You're not living with the full understanding that you are loved. You are not, you have not been convinced. 
You cannot say what Paul says. He says, I am convinced. We get idols in our heart and we try to grasp for other things because we're, we're looking for assurance in so many other places. And so we're, we're always trying to figure out where, where we can find identity and, and where we can make a name for ourselves and where we can fill our voids. And so we, we go and we put all sorts of stuff in front of Christ, bad stuff and good stuff. We put it in front of Christ and we say, listen, this is, my, this is the ultimate thing I need. I have to be a good parent or I, I, I have to be, you know, um, you know the, a CEO or I, or I have to make it. I have to have a name for myself or I have to drive certain things or I have to own certain things or I have to look a certain way or my, 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 my spouse, my husband, my wife. And, and all of a sudden, these things that are very good things, but we make them ultimate things. And we do this because we are not persuaded. We don't really believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's why. But see, when you look at your life and, you, and, when, and when you understand the gospel and when you've given your heart to Jesus Christ and you see the marks that the Holy Spirit is living in you, then you need to know and Paul wants you to know that neither angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate you from the very love of God that is Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a promise. That's a promise. I had a pastor growing up that would say, that's a promise that you could take to the bank. <laughs> right? It's a promise. And, and if you become convinced of that promise, if you really know it, if you really believe it, if you really understand it, it will transform everything. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. I thank you, God, because, Lord Jesus, inside of ourselves, we wrestle. We are constantly wrestling with the fact. And some of us wrestle with the fact so much that we just feel like, God, there's that, I mean, can I, can I come to you again for forgiveness, God? And, and or, or why, why do I keep running after things that, that I know that, that, that won't ultimately fulfill me? Or, why, or, or how, why is it that I keep producing uh, certain things in my heart, Lord God? And why do I have anxiety or fear and worry and anger, Lord Jesus? What is that? Why, why am I prideful? Why am I selfish? And Heavenly Father, help us to see and help us to know, God, that we really are free in you, that there really is no condemnation, God. Heavenly Father, that the, the family secret, Lord Jesus, is that all things work together for the good for those who are called according to your purpose, Lord. Help us to not just know your word, but help us to believe it. Help us to believe it. In Jesus' name, won't you respond? You know, 
if you're here um, or if you're watching and you say, man, I, I came to Christianity, I came to Jesus thinking if I just if I just worked hard, if I just were super religious, if I just read enough of the word and, and prayed really hard and, and, and did all this stuff that, man, I would just, I would make it, that that would be it. And, and, you, and you're now realizing that you were not putting your trust in Jesus and, and in the work that he did, but you were putting your trust in the work that you're doing. And if you're, if you're that person, you're like, I, I'd love to uh, put my heart and my trust in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, in I'd love to put my trust in Jesus Christ who died and rose again on my behalf. Um, if that is you this morning, then just know this, that the Lord hears your heart and you can take a, a few moments to just begin to uh, speak to him and cry out to him and and just repent of sin, repent of uh, trying to do it on your own and put your faith in the fact that what the gospel says is that you were not worthy, that none of us are, and that the very love of Jesus Christ came and, and he, Jesus Christ came and died for you and rose for you and that your faith is in him and allow the Holy Spirit to come and reside in you and begin to just start a new and a different relationship with Jesus than you've ever had before. Um, as Pastor Phil said earlier, uh, we are going to continue our connects uh, this week coming up and uh, maybe for some of you who uh, might be hearing this for the first time, maybe this is your first time ever experiencing or hearing a, a message from Inspire. But what we do is we uh, let everybody know uh, what the questions for the connect groups are going to be. And a connect group is basically what Inspire calls our small groups. It's where we go from sitting in rows to sitting in circles. And we have homes throughout uh, the area that you can attend. Uh, and that's a place where we grow, where we uh, cry, where we laugh, where we open up and we have community and we build relationships um, and we ask questions and we dive deep in the gospel. And so there's three questions that we're going to ask this week. And question number one is, uh, what markers in your life demonstrate that you are not fully convinced that you are loved by God? And each question kind of flows from the next. And then the, the next question is, now that you've identified those markers, well, what is stopping you from being fully convinced that nothing can separate you? What, what is stopping you from fully believing the word of God? And once you've identified that, then the final question is, well, what does the gospel say in response to those things? Um, and I just want to encourage everyone to uh, find a place where they can grow. And we love you very much. And I'm going to pray. Uh, but before I do, I just want to 
uh, speak to uh, the Inspire family and let you guys know that uh, we will keep you informed on what Sunday mornings are going to be looking like as information continues to come in. And so we thank you for your flexibility. We thank you that you've taken time uh, to be with your families and to listen to the word of God and to worship with us and be generous with your giving. And, and so be expecting to hear from Pastor Phil sometime this week to just keep you posted on uh, what we're going to be doing and how we're going to continue to move forward. And, and even in some of the amazing ways that the Lord is stirring in the hearts of the pastoral staff and the elder board on how we can creatively reach out to the community and to those around us and love our neighbors through this season. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, and Lord Jesus, we ask, Heavenly Father, that uh, you continue to help us to realize and recognize the love that you have for us, Lord God, the love that is uh, so incredible, Lord God, that nothing can separate us from that love. Heavenly Father, help us to be able to say what Paul says, that I am convinced, God, that not in death or life or angel or demon or future or present or any power, not height or death, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love that we have in Jesus Christ. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we go forward with the rest of our week, Lord Jesus, that your hand will be upon us, Heavenly Father. I pray, God, that the peace that you bring, Lord God, will just manifest itself in our lives, Lord God, and, and with other people that we talk to, Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord God, that you will bring healing, Heavenly Father, and, and God, that you will bring uh, words of encouragement, Heavenly Father, that, God, you will bring a unity, Lord Jesus, and Heavenly Father, that the church itself, that she, Lord God, will rise up and she will show love and, and speak truth and demonstrate your gospel to the fullest, Lord. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for all that you're doing, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. See you guys next week. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.